The war has receded into the background for many Americans, preoccupied with daily life. The following program is brought to you in living color. The war in Afghanistan has been He's on his first tour in Iraq. Air and naval forces of the United well, States. The experience of Vietnam is to the Soviet Union into a nuclear war. Action with the Army infantry in Korea. The armies fall back in disorder and confusion. Our intention to destroy or enslave the Japanese people. Each year, on the 11th day of the 11th month, we pause as a nation to pay tribute to you, to thank you, the heroes over the generations who have served this country of ours with distinction. Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast produced by the Veterans Breakfast Club and the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh, Oral History Initiative. Well, welcome to podcast number nine, Veteran Voices, the podcast series. This is our first podcast in 2014. We are very excited to be here. By we, I mean Kevin Farkas. I am the director of Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. And joining me, as always, is Todd DePastino, and I'm the director of the Veterans Breakfast Club. All right, Todd, this is a new exciting year for us in our podcast series, and we have a special guest today to share with the public. Sean O'Hanlon Lincoln is going to join us in just a bit, but uh, let's talk a little bit about our recent press coverage. One piece of great press coverage that we've had recently was Bill Zlatos' article in the trip, uh, Out of the Foxhole, an event that helps civilians learn of, appreciate veteran sacrifices, devotion, and patriotism. Now, this was an event that the Veterans Breakfast Club and Todd helped put together along with Still City Vets and Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall. Todd, you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, what a wonderful event that was. Uh, as those of you who have been to Veterans Breakfast Club events or are familiar with our our organization, you know that we attract a lot of World War II veterans and Korean War veterans and Vietnam veterans, uh, but not many younger veterans from post 9-11 era. And that's because most of the time our breakfasts are on a weekday morning and they can't get there. So we thought that we would team with a, an organization that deals with uh, younger veterans, it's Steel City Vets, headed by Ben Keene, who himself is a post 9-11 Iraq War vet. And we held an event on a Sunday, February 23rd, at Soldiers and Sailors, and it was titled Out of the Foxhole, which is a celebration of post-9-11 veterans and their families, and we had about 75 people there. It was a wonderful event where we, first of all, just wanted to get them together, talking with one another and their families about their experiences, and then secondly, uh, maybe get them talking, sharing some stories. We did have a special speaker, Command Sergeant Major Bart Womack, retired, and he talked about his book called Embedded Enemy. And then we had some vets uh, just share some stories, and uh, it was a wonderful event. Now, we were also in the news on television, matter of fact, and you were. You had a chance to do a nice guest spot on KDKA's Pittsburgh Live Today. Yeah, I was on Pittsburgh Live Today on February 27th. And that was about three or five minutes spot where I just talked about the Veterans Breakfast Club and what we do and Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh and how we are just so passionate about reaching out to every veteran in Western Pennsylvania and giving them an opportunity to share their story with the public, whether that is at a public event like our breakfast or whether it is a studio event where we sit them down and, and get their audio or video interview story. And it was nice. It was nice to get the word out and... and you know, people watch TV, and uh, people are coming to our breakfast because of that spot. So that was very nice. 
and people still read as well, which reminds me that oh, one of our stories, one of our interviews, I should say, made it as far as California and made it into Camp Pendleton's Historical Society's publication called Groundbreaker. Yes, I love this story. Bob Williams is one of our World War II veterans, uh, Marine, wounded at Saipan on July 4th, 1944. And we interviewed him uh, last year, and his daughter had a DVD of the interview and was traveling around the country in in her RV, apparently doing kind of a cross-country tour, and stopped at Camp Pendleton and just handed the the interview over to some people there who kind of curate the history of the camp. And they were delighted to get this interview. And it was a fantastic interview. Actually, what it was, was Bob came to my class, my World War II history class at Waynesburg University. And he was kind of a guest, you know, the the artifact in the classroom. And, and students asked him some questions, but he also just kind of told his story. And his story unfolded over about 90 minutes in the classroom. And he just he was very nervous about it, and he had it, his whole story on note cards. And, of course, the minute he started talking about his World War II experience, he cast aside the note cards, and, and it all came back to him very vividly. And he was so eloquent in sharing his story and so vivid with the details. It was just such a delight to have him in the class and such a delight to get that story on video. So the Camp Pendleton Historical Society ended up watching that video and and recounting his story in their newsletter that goes out across the country to their members. And it was so neat to have Bob's story kind of shared with the public in a way that uh, is apart from veteran voices. It, you know, reach a broader audience. Mm-hmm. If anyone would like to see that, of course, that is available on our website, veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com. You can find Bob's name in our directory list on the right-hand corner of the website, as well as many, many other veterans from the Pittsburgh area you will find profiled on our website as well. You'll see the list, and it'll just be amazing how many veterans we've actually talked to. And of course, a lot of other news about the Veterans Breakfast Club and the Veteran Voices Oral History Project can be found on both of our websites, of course, but we have a special blog of news events and uh, happenings on the Veterans Breakfast Club website, which is veteransbreakfastclub.com. Hey, let's talk about our breakfast series this year. It's springtime now. We have a whole new set of breakfasts scheduled up here, and we recently had one at Salvatore's in the South Hills. Yes, we had our first breakfast of the year, really, uh, apart from the Out of the Foxhole event at Soldiers and Sailors in February. We had our first breakfast of the year at Salvatore's Banquets in Baldwin, the South Hills suburb of Pittsburgh. And uh, it was on March 11th. And it was a little different from what we usually do uh, in two ways. Number one, very sadly, we had a eulogy, a beautiful eulogy, of another World War II Marine who comes to our breakfasts all the time. I mean, he came to every breakfast, every location, whether it be Penn Hills or North Hills or out by the airport or Beaver County or South Hills. Bullet Bob Daly was there. And not only was he there, but he also opened every breakfast by singing the national anthem. Sometimes we have another World War II Marine who comes who offers Bob $20 not to sing. Okay, we'll all stand, please, and join me in singing the Star Spangled And I always Banner. said you've never really heard the national anthem unless you oh, heard Bullet Bob singing it. <laughs> and then he closed every breakfast with God Bless America. He passed away suddenly on February 4th. And every time I talk with somebody who learned that Bullet Bob had passed, 
Uh, it's the shock of somebody who seemed to just go on and on and, and was indestructible, never going to stop. The shock of learning that he's gone. And I think we we're still kind of all in that shock. And it was very sad to lose him at age 86. And uh, we had a wonderful eulogy given of him. That um, was given at his funeral by his friend Kim Adley. Uh, Kim kindly came to our breakfast and delivered that same eulogy that just captured the spirit of Bullet Bob so well because he was on the outside one of these gruff Marines and on the inside he was just a tender-hearted, sweet man. And then we had on March 11th at Salvatore's uh, Brigadier General Rick Gibbs give a talk about his role in the Iraq War, which was a significant role. Uh, he was there four times, four tours, and one tour in Afghanistan. And he was a, uh, a you know a, a commander um, under David Petraeus, at first with the 101st Airborne, and then uh, and then in subsequent roles. And, and he really focused on his role in the surge. Uh, that kind of uh, surge of personnel in 2007 that was meant to quell the insurgency in Iraq. And he talked about how difficult that was. And it was really, it was, it was very interesting and also something different for us. Again, we usually get a lot of stories from World War II through Vietnam. And it was nice to get some stories from Iraq. And I, I could say that he was the highest ranking veteran to give a talk at our breakfast. So it was really great to have him. Mm, how wonderful. Boy, there are such exciting things going on with our breakfasts. And we'll talk a little bit more about the breakfast coming up in the near future, of course. But what great stuff. You know, you mentioned Bullet Bob Daly, you know, who was at the breakfast so many times. Such a fixture there. And um, you talked a lot about the, his his personality. And I just want to say that that was certainly not lost on the students of Winchester Thurston School in Pittsburgh. Bob had a chance to sit down with the students last year, which in the first year of our project there. And he was so warmly received and the students and staff there just really fell in love with him. We're now kicking off our second year of the Winchester Thurston Veterans Oral History Project. And unfortunately, Bob won't be with us this year, but we do have many other vets joining us for this project. Yeah, what a wonderful project this is. This is where we get 11th grade U.S. history students at Winchester Thurston High School in Shadyside in Pittsburgh, get them together working in groups of two and three to research and then interview a veteran. And we have eight or nine veterans lined up for this spring's project. And these range from World War II, you know, World War II merchant marine to a uh, Vietnam veteran. And it's, uh, it's always a wonderful project because it's not just the students going in cold to interview the vet. The students do research. They learn who their vet is, when they served, uh, what branch they served in, what they might have experienced uh, during that service. And so they come in with knowledge about, say, what the Merchant Marine did during World War II uh, and what the Murmansk run ru was, so that when Howard Pfeiffer, the World War II Merchant Marine veteran, uh, comes in, the students will have already a good sense of what his experience was and be able to conduct a really well-informed interview. And certainly the students understand oral history because we spend a lot of time discussing the very, very powerful nature of oral history and talking with another human being and having that kind of conversation that reveals the lived experiences, you know, of people, in this case, our, our, our veterans, of course. You know, this work that we do in the schools is very important and it certainly fits uh, the educational programs of, of the schools. For example, we are working with the Community College of Allegheny County right now 
and this is a wonderful new program for us, and uh, hopefully we will continue this in the future, but we're actually bringing oral history to a research writing class there. Carmen Livingston is the professor. She asked us to come and, uh, and, and bring oral history to our students as a way of understanding the primary sources that's, that students need to work with when, as they do research papers. Right. And I think it's a, a wonderful thing for students to do in all kinds of humanities classrooms because oral history encompasses so much. It's not just a uh, record of the past. It's a dynamic experience that involves personality, you know, the vagaries of memory, um, emotion, and this kind of uh, interpersonal dynamic that isn't always easy to predict and is just fascinating to interpret. So it's it's a wonderful project. And I know, Kevin, you spent a, a day at the Community College of Allegheny County doing some interviews with the kids, right, of veterans. We did. We had uh, three veterans interviewed. I was actually one of them. This is the first time that I've had a chance to sit down in the chair by myself and uh, be interviewed about my Navy experiences serving during the Cold War, which, uh, given what's going on now in Crimea and Ukraine and the Russians and how that reminiscent that is of the Cold War, it's really a historical moment uh, to talk about uh, the Cold War. But joining us also was World War II veteran Walter Patton. Uh, Walter, we've interviewed before in our project, and just a wonderful, wonderful person who just loves to tell his story. And the students there were really, really warm to Walter. And we also had a very, very special veteran, a different kind of veteran, a veteran from the first Gulf War, Patricia Phillips, who was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. Patricia was a flight nurse who carried uh, wounded uh, soldiers back and forth from the front lines to Europe and so forth on great big C-130 aircraft. So she saw a lot of action uh, as a flight nurse, of course. But it was very interesting uh, for us to have Patricia there because, one, because she's of that era, which we haven't uh, um, gotten into very much. But also, Patricia is an African-American woman. Yeah, we're looking for a diversity of experience. Uh, often, I'll get a query from somebody who said, well, I wasn't in combat, so maybe I shouldn't come to the breakfast or be interviewed. And I've you know, I always respond, we're looking for all kinds of service, uh, you know, combat or not, people who didn't leave the United States, for, you know, for any reason, um, men, women, uh, Coast Guard, Merchant Marine, Marines, Army, you name it. And, and certainly, you know, racial and ethnic background and geographic background all comes into play, rank. Uh, we're looking for as broad a spectrum of uh, experience in the armed services that we could we could find. You know, the experiences were different depending on where you came from and, and what your identity was. So we're really looking for a representation across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, just on a note there uh, of different experiences, Patricia went into the service at age 38 Wow. That is, to my knowledge, very rare. I, I think World very War II. Rare. World War II was probably the last time that uh, people of that age even yes. you know, were calling the service. But she went in and she was a nurse, of course, already. Um, and so she was, I think she went in as a captain and, yeah. you know, rose through the ranks very quickly. Uh, so this is a, a very interesting That's story. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very different from other um, uh, uh, experiences we've had, we've documented in other branches of service and eras. So, so look forward to Patricia's interview being made available uh, sometime soon. 
Recently, now, we've had a number of interviews that we've gotten released to the public. Bob Williams, of course, we mentioned already, and we mentioned Bula Bob Daly. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say, Kevin, uh, Kevin's too modest, I think, to, to, to say this, but this is all his work. I mean, we've had 10 or 11 new interviews released very recently, and each of these interviews requires just hours and hours and hours and hours of editing work and careful modulating of the audio, for example. Uh, I did the Bob Williams interview, for example, with a a very cheap lavalier microphone, and and Kevin just worked his magic and improved the sound tremendously. So you have this wonderful, warm, immediate tone coming from Bob as he tells his story of being wounded at Saipan. And Kevin did uh, about 10 or 11 of these recently and uh, they're they're all World War II veterans uh, some of them recently passed and each of them different and uh, and if you go to our website you'll see the recent releases and I really do encourage people to kind of click on these names and give a listen because each of them is remarkable in their own right in particular I want to point out Walter Schwartz whom we interviewed a while ago and but we just released his interview on video Walter Schwartz's story is now being preserved at the Library of Congress. We've been working with a fellow in Rochester, New York, and uh, this gentleman is preserving Walter's story there, as well as taking our material and then submitting our content to the Library of Congress and their Veterans History Project. So that's pretty significant for us. Walter was a merchant mariner which is a story that uh, not many people really know about uh, of the uh, the U.S. Merchant Marine Service and what the mariners went through. In particular, I just want to say Walter said that if their ship was ever blown up and they they ended up in a life raft, well, that's when their pay ended. (laughs) Yes, yes. When when their ship stopped moving, their pay stopped coming. Their pay stopped coming. I remember that, yeah. (laughs) Interesting story there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so please check out the veterans that we keep uh, bringing to the public on our website. Just We have audio recordings and video recordings, and we tell the stories also through various links and historical resources and photographs as well, because, you know, we can tell stories in, in many different ways. Our special guest today is Sean O'Hannon Lincoln, an award-winning author from Connellsville. It is our pleasure to welcome her to our show today and to talk about her writings about Pennsylvania state history, as well as very, very important stories of local veterans. Welcome to our show, Sean. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, and, and it's an honor, and I do so thank you for inviting me. County Chronicles began life as a history column in my hometown newspaper, The Daily Courier, back in 2000. And it ran for over three years, at which time the paper graciously returned the rights to me so that I could realize my dream of compiling the chronicles done to that point into a book in time for Connellsville's bicentennial in 2006. I wanted the book to come out a year prior to the celebration so that it could gain momentum. Well, the book was so well received that it sold like the proverbial hotcakes and my publisher and I subsequently brought it out in a second edition. Actually, no sooner had the first volume premiered when folks started asking me, well, when's the next one coming out? And that is the best compliment a writer can get. When is the next book coming out? Sure. So the County Chronicles quickly turned into a series. To date, there are five volumes available, and these are gorgeous hardcover books, each numbered as a collectible, each replete with vintage photographs and full-color plates. 
such as Robert Griffing's breathtaking paintings of the Eastern Woodland Indians and the 18th century Pennsylvania frontier. Now, is he a local artist? Yes, he uh, is from uh, northwestern uh, Pennsylvania originally, but he settled in the Pittsburgh area, and his studio is in Gibsonia. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a very private person. Uh, but when I first saw his work back in 2000 in Pittsburgh at a um, the Courier, I was a stringer for the Courier, and I was doing my history column, County Chronicles, then they sent me to cover uh, a show in Pittsburgh called George Washington, The Man Behind the Legend. And I first saw Robert Griffin's work there, and I knew he was destined to become the greatest artist in his genre at this era. And I wasn't wrong. Um, so it's an honor to have his full-color plates of his paintings throughout my series. Mm-hmm. So his paintings inspired some of your work, your yes. writings? In fact, uh, I would say they have, yes. Okay. Um, now, there are uh, volume numbers on this series, of County Chronicles series, but they are used only to tie the books together as a series. There is no chronological order, and I really want to make that point. I wanted no chronological order because I wanted a great variety of stories in each volume, and that's what we have. Each volume embraces about 25 stories. That varies according to length, but each story is self-contained. Each story can stand on its own, and each volume can stand on its own. Mm -hmm. So readers are free to skip round within each volume or from volume to volume to whatever strikes their fancy. And you know what I'm proud of? My books have been called by critics the perfect bedside fireside readers because they're hard to put down. (laughs) Well, that sounds terrific. Well, you know what? There's a reason for that. I do not write history in a flat documentary style the way most history books are written. History shouldn't have to be a dusty pill that we have to swallow. Each story is written in a storytelling way, the way history unfolded, because that's what history is, is a story about a small town, perhaps one you never heard of, uh, a state, Uh, a nation, but more than anything else, history is people. And they throng my stories. And if people tell me I have a gift for bringing history alive and that I have a gift for presenting historical figures um, from history uh, in a a human way, uh, making them real flesh and blood people, and I strive to do that. I work hard at it. I was a teacher for a lot of years. So I do my homework, I do a lot of research, and after the meticulous research, I sit down and I write the bones of each story. And then I start the endless hours of crafting and polishing and fine-tuning and proofing and, uh, until the language flows. And when I have readers tell me, I felt as if I were really there, or when does your next book come out? Or I, I, I couldn't believe it, I was right there in the midst of the action, I could hear the battle all around me raging. Then I know I've achieved what I set out to do. Because I don't want readers to read history. They can do that from any book. I want them in my books to experience history. And so I drop them right into the action. And I use all the senses possible. They're going to see, hear, smell, touch, feel, everything going on around them. So, Sean, in particular, your stories reflect uh, a topic that's very near and dear to you as well as to us, and that is the stories of local veterans. Oh, yes. I have uh, veteran stories scattered throughout my series from the colonial period to present day. In fact, Colonel Crawford's story, um, uh, he was our first veteran from Connellsville. Uh, he was a friend of George Washington. Um, he, uh, his story is, it's hair-raising, let me put it that way. It's in the first volume. 
um, I have veteran stories in there because I've always admired and appreciated the great sacrifices our veterans have made in each of America's struggles. And did you know that the man who worked for decades fighting the um, battle of Congress to establish, uh, to get, uh, to, to secure, let me put it that way, to secure a National Veterans Day was from Connellsville? Max Floto. He worked for decades to get a National Veterans Day. He was a vet from World War I who's recognized by American legions across America as the father of Veterans Day. And two, I was an Air Force brat, so I was raised on large doses of patriotism. You know, my father, John R. Hanlon, served in the 8th Army Air Force during World War II, and he remained in the Air Force active reserves for 35 years, so that's another reason. There are a couple of stories that uh, you are very fond of regarding the veterans in your local area. Would you mind sharing these stories with us? Okay. Um, you know, it was hard to pick a favorite uh, because it, each story is like my child. And, you know, to say, well, what's your favorite child? I mean, uh, they're all very dear to me, just as the veterans uh, whom I interviewed for the stories are very dear to me, and many have become close friends. Uh, but we're going to start naturally with my father's story. Um, Dad served in World War II, as I said, in the 8th Army Air Force, the Mighty Eighth, as it was rightly called. When the war broke out, my dad was 33 years old, and he was working at the Duquesne Steel Mill in Pittsburgh, and he was married, so he wasn't called up. But he was a very patriotic man, and he enlisted, as so many did in that era. They didn't wait to be called up in the draft. They enlisted. Um, but uh, soon after Dad's arrival, at Base Air Depot Number 2, Wharton, England, where he was stationed. It's on the Irish Sea, uh, not far from the city of Blackpool. He was given an important charge, and that was chief of the engine parts section of the uh, U.S. Army Air Force Command Depot's vast internal supply division, where their motto became, it can be done. And as chief of the engine parts my dad supervised the receiving, storing, and issuing of the thousands of engine parts. And these were mostly for B-24 liberators, needed to keep our fighters and bombers in the air over Germany. Uh, essentially, what he did was to turn a, a corner of one of the hangars into the largest engine parts section in the UK, which ended up occupying two giant hangars. And before the war's end, he was, he was uh, commended for that. Now, I have another story I want to share in brief, and that is the story about the WASP, Women Air Force Service Pilots. And we have a WASP right here in Connellsville, and there weren't very many of them to begin with, and her name is Florence Schutze Reynolds, whom you interviewed for Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh, and she's become a dear friend. I want to say that the WASP were an experiment. Uh, Uncle Sam uh, wanted to see if women were capable of flying high-performance aircraft, and it was a mighty surprise to Uncle Sam when he found out that they most certainly were. 1,830 candidates were accepted into the program, but only 1,074 graduated. Theirs was a Spartan life, let me tell you. And the WASP trained just as hard as any man in the Army Air Force at that time. They had the same exact training. What they did, essentially, was to free men up for combat. They weren't in combat, but nonetheless, they flew some dangerous missions. They flew military personnel, cargo, ordnance. They flew military planes from the factories to the bases. Uh, a lot of them were instructors. 
Others towed targets for live ammunition ground crews. Uh, they were involved uh, in top secret projects, and they also conducted countless test flights. 38 gave their lives to the fullest measure during World War II, and they didn't have veteran status until the 1970s. Uh, in 2010, though, they received, uh, and rightly so, richly deserved, the Congressional Gold Medal for what they did during World War II. At the time, the World War II era, there were 78 different types of military aircraft, and collectively speaking, WASP flew them all. Um, they did more, and I'm, I want to conclude their story with this, they did more than carry military personnel and material. These valiant ladies carried the future because they opened the door for women in both commercial and military aviation. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things I've ever written in my life is a story I entitled The Village That Cried, and that is another World War II story connected somewhat to my father. One day, and this is how it came about, it was very strange really. One day last summer, I, uh, from, nearly from the moment I woke, I began thinking of a World War II incident my father had shared with me many years earlier. All morning as I went about my household chores, I was haunted by that story. I mean, it had a firm grip on me. Finally, I sat down at my computer and I typed into my search engine a few key words that I hoped would bring me the information I was seeking. I couldn't remember specific details because it was so long ago. Dad shared that story with me back when I was in high school. And this April, I'll be 67 years old, so that was a long time ago. I couldn't recall specific details, as I said, but I could recall my father's face relating to me the sad tale of the huge plane crashing into a school in the adjacent village and killing the children. It was the first time I had seen my father cry. Actually, it was the first time I had seen a man cry, and my father was a very strong man, so that's, it. I, I'm going to tell you, it was burned in memory. He couldn't even finish telling me the story, really. Wow. And he was involved in the rescue mission that quickly became a recovery search. Um, I looked on my, my screen because the story came up almost right away, and I saw that it had happened. This air disaster of Freckleton had happened on 23 August 1944. I looked at the bottom of my computer screen at the toolbar in the lower right-hand corner and saw that it was 23 August. I glanced at the clock, it was 10.47, and that, according to the data I had just pulled from the BBC website, was the exact moment that huge plane hit that school, the Holy Trinity School, wiping out the whole, um, the whole wing of the, what they call the infant's wing of that school. Uh, translated in American way of talking would be the preschool and kindergarten um, sections of the school. Uh, those children were, uh, they ranged in age from four to six, all killed, all 38 except for three that were uh, dragged out, severely burned, um, one little girl and two little boys. The one little girl, uh, her name was Ruby Whittle. Um, today it's Ruby Curl. She's alive. She's 75 years old. I've made friends with her over the past several months, and I will be meeting with her this summer because this year is the 70th anniversary of the air disaster at Freckleton. And when all this happened, and, and I looked on there, it was 23 August, and it was the exact time that that plane had hit the, the building, 1047. I knew it was my father telling me to write about this. And it was a way to reconnect with my father, who passed away back in 1994. 
so I I wrote the story and I included in our um, audio book that uh, we're doing with veteran voices and um, when all was said and done, 61 people were killed in that air disaster, including the three-man crew of the Liberator. Uh, but it was no one's fault. A, a storm had blown in from the Irish Sea, a storm that was more like a tropical hurricane than a typical English storm. A lot of lightning, lightning one after another after another, uh, bolts of lightning, forked lightning in the sky. sky becomes black like night. The lights on the school had been turned on and the wind was so violent. It was a, over a 60 mile an hour, an hour gale with um, over 70 mile an hour gusts. And uh, it was destroying farm uh, buildings roundabout and rattling the windows and doors of the school so badly the children's hands flew to their ears and they were screaming and crying and the teacher had to uh, read them a, a fairy story to settle them down. School had just started the day before. This was only the second day of school. But another strange incident connected with this is Ruby told me this herself. She had nightmares all night, the night before. She had loved school the day before her first day of school. But then that night she had these nightmares and she kept waking up, screaming. And another little girl had the same exact thing happen to her, a little girl by the name of June, um, who was killed. Uh, but uh, Ruby survived it. Um, with scars that she has learned to live with, but she's always, always had a terrible, terrible fear of thunderstorms. This is such a tragic story, and, and I'm sure that many people don't even know about the Freckleton disaster. And I, I yeah, really... and you know what? It was the greatest air disaster in England outside of London during World War II. That's right. And I'm glad that you had a chance to raise awareness of this incident, but also talk about this in light of your father's own experience of being there. Now, Todd, you, if you recall, at one of the veterans' breakfast events, a veteran stood up and told of his experience at Freckleton. He passed away probably two years ago, but I believe it was December 2010 when he stood up and told the story of that disaster. Uh, because he was at that base. And little mm -hmm. little did, did I realize that when I heard about that story, Sean, is that uh, this veteran from the Veterans Breakfast Club undoubtedly knew your father because he also worked on engines at that air depot where your right. father if did. Right, if he worked on engines, on B-24 Liberator um, engines, then he knew my father. Yes. And I, I wish I would have gotten to speak with Sam. Yes. Dad was 33 when he went in, so he was a lot older than those fellas, uh, a lot of those fellas then uh, at that time in the service. So, um, you know, if they're in their 80s or even 90s now, um, it's very possible there are people still alive out there who will be listening to this, who will know, who will remember my father, who worked with him at Base Air Depot Number 2, Wharton. If someone out there has information, if they've known your dad, if, if they have information about the Freckleton Air Disaster, for example, how can they contact you? They could call me at any reasonable hour. I'll be most happy to, to speak with them and will welcome their calls at 724-626-1817. 
where they can, if they have a computer, and I know a lot of uh, older folks don't, but some do, if they have a computer, they can contact me at, and this is my first name, Sean, it's really pronounced Shawnee, C-E-A-N-E, at zoominternet.net. If someone is interested in reading more of the County Chronicle series, how can they get a hold of your books? They can get them directly from me for a signed copy by calling 724-626-1817, or they can email me at C-E-A-N-E, that's my first name, Shawnee, at zoominternet.net. Or they can call my publisher and get a live person weekdays from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at one 800 941 3735, or if they have a computer, at www.mecklingbooks.com. And Meckling is spelled M-E-C-H-L-I-N-G, mecklingbooks.com, www.mecklingbooks.com. Meckling, by the way, is the largest producers of Pennsylvania history and genealogical works on this side of the Commonwealth, and it's been an honor to work with them. They're a great, they're a great publishing house, um, great people to work with, and they're offering a special on my books right now. If I might add this, um, the books are twenty nine ninety five plus tax and shipping, but if you get the whole set, all five, instead of paying one hundred and seventy dollars, um, you pay only ninety nine. So you're saving about $70 if you buy the whole set and you get free postage. And these are weighty books meant as heirloom. They're designed as heirloom books meant to be kept in families and passed down in families. That's a great buy. $99 for the whole set. It's like getting two books free and you get free postage when you buy the whole set. And all you have to do is call Meckling at 1-800-941-3735 and they'll come right to your door. Okay, great. And I want to say here before we have to say goodbye to you, Sean, that we are doing an audio book together, Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Right. Veteran Voices is producing our, our very first audio book. Uh, Sean is the author, of course, and Sean is the reader of A Sentimental Journey or Praise the Lord and Pass the Ammunition, which should be available probably early summer of this year at a location near you. And of course, proceeds will help support what we do at Veteran Voices as well as the Veterans Breakfast Club to reach out and preserve the stories and share the stories of local veterans. Okay, well our special guest today has been Sean O'Hannon Lincoln. Sean, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today and we certainly look forward to more of your writings, especially writings about local veterans. I'm sure there are a lot more stories out there for you to write about and we look forward to those stories. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. It's been my pleasure. breakfast coming up in Beaver County on Wednesday, March 26th at the Seven Oaks Country Club in Beaver. And uh, that's really neat. This will be the second breakfast we've had out there. And the first time we had about 70 people come, a large representation from VVA 862, Vietnam Veterans of America 862, which is one of the largest uh, VVA chapters in the country, uh, maybe the largest in Pennsylvania. And they really got the word out and we had a lot of veterans there. And boy, was that a wonderful breakfast. So we're doing it, we're doing it again. 
Uh, we may have a very special guest, a Holocaust survivor, who has just recently begun telling his story. His name is Judah Samet, and we're hoping that he'll come and share his story there. Uh, he may do so elsewhere at another breakfast. Not quite sure if he can make this event yet, um, but we may have that in store for us. And uh, certainly it'll be a room full of people with a lot of wonderful stories. It's $10 for the buffet breakfast. It's free to attend. As always, you could always make a reservation by contacting me and leaving a message on our reservation line, which is 412-623-9029. That's 412-623-9029. And you could also reach me at todd at veteransbreakfastclub.com. So we hope that those folks in, in Beaver County come out and hear these stories. Mm-hmm. And that is the March 26th at the Seven Oaks Country Club. That's 132 Lisbon Road for anyone who's not familiar with the area. It's actually in uh, Beaver, 15009, if anyone wants to uh, look up that address. But we have uh, a number of breakfasts coming up in April. Yes, yeah, so we'll have on April 8th, we'll have another breakfast in the South Hills at Salvatore's Banquets on Curry Road in Baldwin. And I have found out that Florence Schutze Reynolds will be there and will be sharing her story. And and boy, is she a celebrity here because she is one of the few uh, surviving WASPs, women air service pilots, one of the few survivors nationwide, and there were only a little over a thousand of them. And so she's going to be there telling her story, and we'll have a lot of other stories from other veterans. We also have a special Saturday breakfast on Saturday, April 19th in Penn Hills at the Comfort Inn on Rhode Island Road. And these Saturday breakfasts are really wonderful because we get we get people who normally can't make it to our breakfast when we have them on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday. Uh, sometimes they can make it on a Saturday. So we get a lot of children and grandchildren and families coming, and we should have a wonderful turnout for that one. A lot of World War II veterans there come to our Penn Hills breakfast. And then we have an April 30th breakfast in the North Hills in Wexford, PA, at Grotzi's Restaurant in the Oxford Athletic Club. That is always a nice one. It's usually our smallest. We usually get about 50 to 60 people there. And, uh, but it's, it's, there's something special about it. There's something very intimate about it. And, and uh, so I look forward to that as well. Also in the near future, we have interviews coming up. Of course, we are continuing our interview process with veterans. We are going out a little bit geographically uh, coming up in a week or so. I'm going to Tynesta to record four veterans there. That is a little bit outside of the Pittsburgh area, but we had a special request from that area, World War II veteran, and we made contact with Victor Miesel there, and he's a wonderful, spry, very young, 94-year-old gentleman who said, I can get you some more veterans to interview, and I said, you get them, Vic, and I'll be there. So <laughs> so I'm off to Tynesta next week to record the veterans, and also in April, we will be back at Winchester Thurston School, as we mentioned earlier, to record many or many more veterans with the students there. Yeah, and of course we, you know, our our news uh, about our project and the events. Uh, all this can be found on our websites, veteransbreakfastclub.com, as well as veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com, and we also are on Facebook, of course, and Twitter. Like everybody else, you know, we're living the modern age, right? So if you want to get on Facebook and give our pages a like and follow us on Twitter, you'll be sure to keep up with all of our events. And come to our breakfast. You know, the most common question I get is, I'm not a veteran, can I attend? 
Absolutely. The second most common is, do I need to make a reservation? Uh, we like to have reservations because we like to be able to tell the facilities how much food to prepare. Uh, but if you don't make a reservation and you decide you want to come, please do just show up. We always have more than enough for everyone. Uh, and, and it's just a pay-at-the-door thing. If you don't eat breakfast, you do not have to pay. It's a, it's a free event if you're not eating. Uh, give us a try. See if you like it. And uh, it's always wonderful having new people come to our breakfasts. Mm-hmm. And these are very casual events. You know, they're not formal affairs. You don't have to wear a black tie, of course. You know, these are very casual, and everyone is so friendly. And, you know, you come and you eat and, you know, and you listen to people and you talk, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. So Exactly. It's casual, informal, and simple. It's simple. All it is is a microphone and people sharing their memories. That's all it is. And it's really powerful. And of course, Todd, I, I want to say that you do a wonderful job in putting on a presentation at each breakfast. Well, that's breakfast. what I was fishing for, Kevin, so thank you. Well, of course. I'm glad to have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Todd, you don't like to blow your own horn very much, but you are an historian by trade. Yes. That is a wonderful resource for anybody who's interested in local veterans and the veteran experience because you put on such a wonderful program, so historical, so wonderfully um, researched and nuanced. And, you know, you certainly dot your I's and cross your T's, and you are quite the storyteller yourself, sir. I think what fascinates me about the stories that we hear at the breakfast is, is kind of hearing the stories as each story is kind of a new wrinkle in my understanding of the larger historical context. So when I hear a veteran who is at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II share a story, I always learn something a little bit new that I hadn't known before. And boy, is that a thrill as a historian to get a firsthand account of these epics that I've read about but uh, didn't experience firsthand. And it's just, it's a special thing to hear these stories from the vets who were there. Mm-hmm. And of course, we want to thank our supporters and our sponsors uh, to help us do what we do. You know, we couldn't do this without the help of the public and those who support us through financial donations. This is very important. You know, we never charge a veteran for these interviews. That's our way of saying thank you for your service. But we have to keep the lights on. So it's important that we continue the funding. Let me say a few words about our, our sponsorships and donations. We're always interested in having commercial sponsorships. We have newsletters that we put out twice or three times a year. And we love business card size ads in our newsletter. It pays for the newsletter and it allows us to reach uh, people and let them know what our upcoming schedule is and, and share some stories. Uh, and, and we're all, always looking for people to sponsor the breakfast. Uh, we have companies that, that come in and, and put up a sign and hand out their marketing materials. And, and I thank them profusely at the beginning of each breakfast. And, uh, and they get the mic for a couple minutes to talk about their services. And what I love is when the sponsors come and they just become so involved in the program that they keep on coming even when they're not sponsoring. And that, that's most of our sponsors, actually. We have, a, we have a lot of sponsors who just come because they love the people who come to our breakfast and they love the stories they hear. And so if you're at all interested in, in sponsoring what we do, you can get in touch with us, 412-623-9029, or you could uh, email me at todd at veteransbreakfastclub.com. 
Of course, donations can be made through our website on our secure server by credit card or debit card. Just go to veteransbreakfastclub.com or veteranvoicesofpittsburgh.com and you can see the link there on how to make a donation. All right, that uh, wraps up this podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been Veteran Voices, the podcast of Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh and the Veterans Breakfast Club. I am Todd Pastino, director of the Veterans Breakfast Club. And I am Kevin Farkas, director of Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. You're listening to Veteran Voices. You're listening to Veteran Voices. <laughs> You're listening to Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh.